Hey everybody, welcome to, wow, I'm so close, we're just gonna back out of that. Welcome to episode number 20 of Tactical Crouch. It is a podcast about competitive Overwatch. Of course, we've got uh, the regular badasses of competitive Overwatch analysis in Joe and Volumel. Bringing on a special guest, though, from the uh, currently at the Philadelphia Fusion uh, team house here, Rambunctious Bunch. I'm gonna I'm gonna be using that mute a lot. I can tell already. Uh, but we've got the assistant coach for the Philadelphia Fusion coming off of a two and zero week. In week one, none other than Christopher. Hey, man, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, taking the time to come out and uh, learn us some Overwatch this week. Thank you for having me. We we have a lot to talk about. Obviously, week one is in the books when it comes to uh, competitive Overwatch or Overwatch League uh, season two. A lot of people already getting really, really cocky. Really cocky about their uh, picks. So, I mean, I can't wait. Yiska, we're going to be doing a knee-jerk reaction segment later nice. on, and I can't wait to hear what your knee-jerk reactions are from week one. I've got some good ones. Uh, it should be a good time. So, before we get started, though, uh, let's just do the housekeeping things. Let's just get it all out of the way. First of all, thank you all for your support of the show. So if you want to support the show, obviously download it, listen to it, whatever. It's on all your podcast feeds. It's on YouTube. It's on Spotify. It's everywhere. And if you comment on the show in some place that's not, I will I will put it up there. So thank you for all that, as well as the new subs in YouTube or on uh, YouTube, of course, but also on Twitch. We really appreciate that as well. You can find it everywhere. We've got Christopher on the show. We're bringing on awesome guests, just like five weeks in a row. Of awesome guest Joe. Joe's typing. Joe's typing. Huh? He's what? looking. Oh my god. Just not paying attention. Yeah, I know. Just not ready for it at all. I'm just saying I'm we've just, had uh, really good guests on recently. To- yeah, it's been sick. You know, we had Sideshow. Chris was here to talk us some some Philly and how uh, how successful they're doing. And uh, we're gonna learn about some uh, the differences between the goats and the. Uh, contender teams so we'll, we'll see we'll see what's the what, what the differences are i know there was a uh a, a fairly popular demand surprisingly enough you know uh, after christopher had said a, a few uh things in some discords i was immediately like screenshots and uh and to be honest i don't necessarily disagree but i think we're gonna get some clarification and some uh some nuance to that statement so we'll, it'll be interesting it'll be it will be interesting lots lots going on let's talk about last week though first joe we, uh, I mean, every, anyone can go to the Overwatch League website and look at the, uh, you know, who won and who lost, but we need to talk about something. There's an elephant in the room here. That's that London started off the season at 0-2, and, and you were the only analyst on the show during the time to say that that's going to happen. You get a victory lap here. Uh, oh, yeah. So, so in your mind, before we talk about, or before we, we, uh, talk to Christopher because obviously they were one of the teams that took him down. Why do, why do you think London did so poorly in week one? I mean, historic. I mean, I'm, I'm going to parrot the same things I said last week. Um, unfortunately, um, they, they're, they're slow to adapt. They're not necessarily, they haven't been keen throughout at least this first season, and, and you know, at the start of the second season. 
how 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 quickly they've developed into the new meta games has, has been incredibly slow. Um, to kind of branch off of that, though, they haven't really brought in anybody that's had like very in depth experience with this specific meta game. If we look back, um, people are going to instantly draw comparisons to Guard. But if you remember, Guard really only played during the the heavy somber meta of Contender Season One. Korea didn't really transition over heavily until late in the season one and early season two. Like that's when things really built up in terms of the goats meta for them. And again, they, they've, they've been a little bit behind the, uh, the ball. Um, and again, London's been slow. Uh, they, uh, I, I do think they'll pick up the pace. I think now that they have a good breadth of information, that's not just scrims this, scrims that. I do think teams take that into consideration. Um, they have official matches to study. They have, you know, homework to be done. And I think they will bounce back, but I could be still a little bit bullish on them due to uh, their, their season one performance and the, the peaks that they could reach. Is DPS or multi-DPS compositions uh, that important? I'm not entirely too sure just yet it could be a, a late week five uh you know power spike that way but i'm not entirely too sure it could be that dps are strong early ghost is going to last the entirety of stage one you know be the composition that people always default back to uh well we'll see we'll see but uh yeah london's slow london doesn't adapt quickly they're gonna they're gonna take some early losses they're gonna drop games throughout stage one stage two if we do see ghosts i think they'll probably even even out a little bit more Christopher, I want to talk to you a little bit because you obviously opened up the season with that grand finals rematch. A, how important was it to kind of get the revenge in in that series? And two, like, what can you tell us about how you prepared or, or how you were able to kind of exploit London in that season opener? Yeah, I mean, I, myself, it wasn't necessarily revenge because I wasn't here last season. But I know the players, I this fixture up probably out of all the stage one games is the one that we wanted to win. So I think we crept pretty hard for it. I mean, it's difficult. Like the first game of the week, we don't have any intel about what they're playing. We obviously don't scrim them a single time. Like we, we just go into it blind. So the first week is just, we play our game and hope that it's better than what they bring. Whereas for the rest of the, the games, at least we'll have something to, to base our prep work off. Um, I think it went fine. I think London had a really tough first week. I think I think us and Paris is a pretty rough schedule. Maybe they aren't as bad as quite as many people say they will be. Yeah, I mean, I think that that Yiska that kind of comes down to I think one of the first knee jerk reactions. Um, we obviously all had London in the top two when we did our kind of preseason power rankings. I made a joke to Benchmob today on Twitter, and I said I already adjusted London to nineteenth because they're, uh, you know, they're zero and two, so you know, therefore they're they're not very good. But is is this to you a something that you're worried about for London, or do you, or is this kind of expected at this point? It is expected, but if you keep last season in mind. It is a little bit worrying because I don't see them becoming drastically better and I don't see the meta changing. So the like stage one might be dire for them. And then last season, within a performance like that during stage one, they wouldn't have made even made playoffs realistically. So um, it, it is it, also it's just com makes complete sense. If you have a team that basically were world beaters on the back of just being pound for pound. I still argue the best team in the league, then 
of course, like uh, um, a meta that suppresses that and is so much about co internal coherence, which honestly they ha have never really excelled at. It, it makes perfect sense that they are where they are right now Great. in terms of stand the standings. That hindsight, though. So 2020. I love it. Uh, Christopher, actually, I need to say something really quick. We'll, we'll cut the show here for a second. I think that you're, it's actually on your webcam mic and not your headset mic. Oh, God. Okay. Let me sort that real quick. No worries. I'm just like, like, wait, it's not coming through that headset. There's no way. That would make sense, actually. Let's see. Input device. Yeah. Okay. Don't worry, chat. We got it. Okay. How about now? Oh, my God. It's oh. so good. Okay. Okay. That's a rookie error. That's a rookie error. Oh, it's so good. All right. You're probably won't be able to hear elk anymore, Eva. So <laughs> yeah. Part of it was hilarious, and I'm like, I, we, well, there's no way. There's just no way. All right. Neptuno said he was trying to tell you. Yeah. I... He was. I don't know why he was trying to interrupt me during a podcast, to be fair. But <laughs> oh. Got him. All right. So, uh, audio listeners, sorry about that, but... Um, we're going, we're going clean the rest of the way. It's going to be good. It's all uh, good now. Yeah, we're all good now. Let's go. Saved. Done. You're, Neptuno, you're sexy, says Asuka912. Uh, no disagreements here. Okay, so London, we kind of talked about there. I mean, I, actually, I do want to ask you, Christopher, about the Atlanta rain here. So I think that there's been, you know, th that went to a map five. Yeah, uh, it was. It looked pretty close um, on, on both ends. Couldn't things. have got much closer, really. Yeah. Did you expect that match to be that close? Do you feel like there was maybe some underrating of Atlanta, or was a lot yeah. of it preparing for London as well? So I think the problem we had was we watched Atlanta's group match versus Florida, but it felt like a lot of the reasons they were winning weren't necessarily them playing well, but like Florida were making like so many mistakes, right? So it was really hard to get a, like, a good gauge of how good Atlanta were. But I, I think that we realized maybe between like the last day before we played them that this might actually end up being a tougher game than the London. Whereas obviously before the season, we expected London was going to be the tough game and Atlanta in theory should have been easier. Okay, that's fair. I mean, it was, it was close. I didn't get to see any Atlanta games in full yet. Those are, those are two, two of the games that I missed. Um, from this last week, but what was your take on Atlanta this week, Joe? Uh, so far, so good. I've been uh, pretty high on Urser. Um, I think towards Ilios, uh, map five, for those of you who haven't uh, caught up, uh, Urser looked quite good. Um, had a couple, couple pretty decent performances there. Um, Dogman actually surprised me quite a bit. Uh, Defran has come out uh, swinging into a season where I did have some question marks on how consistent he was going to be. Um, it has definitely exceeded my expectations on what I considered possible for somebody who was very much um, kind of a pre-Overwatch League era superstar and kind of, you know, had some hardship and has come back and, and looking stronger than ever. Um, one person that kind of has uh, stuck out like a sore thumb, though, is Masa. I, I do believe that uh, Lucio's really dictated uh, at least the the fourth day of uh, week one, and he was another one of these standout Lucios. Um, I can't imagine uh, sitting in the the uh, coaching booth in the dugout and and looking at him just running around and and you know causing such a problem for Carpe. So you know, kudos to him. He, he definitely is uh, 
uh, put a lot of uh, answered a lot of questions has, has stamped his place in the Overwatch League and I think he's going to do very well for himself. Yes, let's talk about Boston really quick. So Boston turns some heads, call up Fusions as a main tank, and he makes a pretty big splash. Um, I, I want to hear your thoughts because, you know, they, they go in, in week one alone, and let me just make sure I get this right. They go two, two and one against NYXL, which nobody expected them to win, I, I would say. And then against uh, Houston Outlaws beat them on map five which I, I read your article about Houston Outlaws and Map 5s. It's, uh, it's, it's basically written in stone at that point. Take, take Houston to Map 5, you're in a good spot. So what's, what's your take on Boston so far? Should people be trending them up the rankings now that they're adding fusions as that main take and Gamsu's out? Well, I... I almost at first i thought just assembling european players was sort of like you know collecting exodia and just uh you know in this meta but i think dream argued it to me very well that it is basically mostly main tank positions if you're like a main tank that is um comfortable in goats meta and is also vocal and can then you know guide the team then this is a almost a hard carry position that we currently have and in very different metrics than we usually think of uh, in hard carry uh, situations it's not based on mechanics as much or much at all but yeah i think uh, the pickup is very interesting i'm also not sure if he's what, what his contract structure is if he is a two-way or if he just straight up was moved up because we have to assume that once they have color hikes black, that Axiom is uh, moving back into the main point position, maybe, maybe not during the GOATS meta, then we have to ask what, what happens after that. And of course, you I think you're only allowed to play two matches per, um, per stage anyway, so if he plays more, then he's automatically promoted to be an Overwatch League player. It's quite interesting what um, the dynamics here are at play for boss and what their decision ranking will be coming into uh, the next week and then thereafter. Uh, Christopher, what was your take on the Boston Uprising? Like, do you think that the, the community overall is, is underrating Boston? I mean, I, I would say on average, they kind of sit in that upper, upper to middle, lower half, kind of, you know, anywhere between like the 13 to the 17 is where they kind of seem to settle. Do you feel like that's pretty fair for that team? Or do you think that yeah. they show that they're a, they're a team that can definitely punch above that weight? a la season one hmm, i'm not sure i think that my internal power rankings had them in a pretty similar position to what most people did i think stage one is probably going to be their most favorable meta you could argue that their dps is their weak positions and i think that this meta it's easy if you have like team players in in dps positions you can be just fine like obviously fusions uk main tank like on stage, and he understands goats so well. Like that's obviously going to be a really big factor. And I agree. I think it'll be really interesting to see if if he's done enough in first week to secure himself the starting spot. Because I get the impression before this Gamsu and then the color hex ban situation that like he probably wasn't going to be with the team like as a starting player, and maybe subbed him in as an emergency just for the first week. But I mean, it's going to be hard to argue against starting them next week, right? Uh, yeah, I mean. 
you can maybe make a, a, an argument for Axiom because he's picked up on Zarya so quickly, but that doesn't necessarily translate into main tank and how that works with goats and how how understanded you know fusions is at knowing and and kind of studying goats you know, as he's been with you know the British Hurricane and whatnot. Um, you know, the, the kid came on stage with nerves of steel. Like he's making these these ballsy Reinhardt calls, yeah. and, and some of them hit, and some of them didn't. And, you know, and that's fine. Um, but overall, I think he he's he's incredibly vocal. Like no uh, no shade here, no leaks. But you know, I've 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 heard some some British Hurricane scrims, and he's a very loud player. Yeah. Like he's very vocal. Um, yeah. Somebody who I think that does a lot of leading for that team. And again you can kind of see it he leads the charge he is that spearhead and and i can't i'd be i'd be sad if boston actually um subbed him out for axiom and put him wouldn't, over wouldn't surprise me if there was a situation where the players straight up say it's so much easier to play with fusions than axiom mm, just sure the nature that a player who's happy to call every aggressive move who's like able to lead like to carry 95 percent of the comms makes your life so much easier to play with so i imagine I that his players probably love playing with him especially on stage yeah and I Joe, I've heard the same thing that Fusions understands goats really well, arguably maybe the best on the entire like uprising roster. And he is very vocal about it, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it's mm -hmm. it's one thing to have a main tank who understands goats and then also one who's a very vocal main tank. Sounds like this might be a stage in a meta that might really, really suit them, even though they had a really difficult stage one. They were still outclassed by NYXL. They were um, narrowly, narrowly outclassed by the Houston Outlaws. Who did they not win versus Outlaws? Oh, sorry, sorry. They narrowly yeah. outclassed yeah. Houston yeah. Outlaws. Sorry, my 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 bad. I I suck at speaking. I probably shouldn't do it into a microphone <laughs> so much. Uh, but you know, like Boston, Boston for me, I was really impressed. And again, I, I love a team that punches above their weight. And this yeah, seems like no. a team that, at least in week one. Even if they come out of it one, one and one, and almost lose. All right, bye. See you later. There he's back. <laughs> um, we'll get him back in a second. Uh, even if it is a you know a one and one week, there. Um, hello, hello. Welcome hello. back. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Welcome back. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was like overall, I was really pleased with Boston. I it it doesn't change my rankings yet. But uh, fusions, at least at the very least, is go okay. Like, not saying losing Gamsu makes a ton of sense, but he's filling the shoes right now. Definitely, definitely, one hundred percent. By the way, also good on Huck. It, that wasn't like a reactionary uh, pickup after the World Cup performance. He was signed yes. before yes. that. Yeah, he was. He was mm -hmm. very good scouting. Yeah, and that again, I've I've been very um, hesitant to buy any kind of uh, uprising stock, but you know, it looks good. I, I can't I can't hate it. You know, bookmarked. Um, it it go it plays into the narrative. The system seems to be working thus far. Again, I'm still yet to be completely sold, but you know, some early projections. I may be uh, writing a, a Boston article praising their scouting because again. The system has to, it, it can't not work. You know what I mean? It, they're, they're buying it's hinged these players. The whole thing, yeah. Exactly. It, it always goes back to the system. Um, and if that's, you know, Huck's pa passion project and he's kind of crafted this um, model where he can evaluate players or if he's got people who can do that, 
um, he's doing the best job out there, at least for the Western talent. Yeah. It's also like one, one aspect that I might have underappreciated or undervalued is if you look at the grand history of Overwatch, they actually never have been players that have been absolute top of the game for two years in a row. Of course, the game mm. is not that old, but at the same time, it's it doesn't seem to be very robust in the top player department. So him selling off that type of talent, especially why this you know, first generation, second generation player diminishing return uh, is still sort of in, in full effect because as, as we know from other esports games, these first generation, second generation pro players are phased out rather quickly. Then third and fourth may have longer careers. But well, selling off the first and ge second generation pro players while they still command these buyout fees might be just a perfect read on the current market situation. Mm -hmm. It seems like he has a good read. You know, when when goats was starting to rise up, I think a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of people had their eyes on a lot of the Hurricane players, a lot of the EU players. Whether or not they were signed, that remains to be seen. I think that's a lot of uh, depending on the organization. But, uh, you know, I, I think the eyes were there. It seems like not as many people as I would have liked pulled the trigger and, you know, brought people in like Christopher, like, um, you know, other coaches that have at least some experience, like the Runaway players, you know, some of the, the Spark coaches, some of the Spark players that have that experience, bringing them in. Um, and, and, you know, taking bits and pieces from them. Like, for instance, let's say Elk, right? He has experience playing in contenders, playing against goats, beating goats, beating goats without using goats. You know what I mean? Like, he has that understanding that an Overwatch League player just isn't going to have, just for the basis and the, just the factual nature of contenders and how the patch cycles work and how quickly they have to adapt to it because you know at the end of the day they want jobs and if you want jobs you have to do well in contenders you have to kind of show your worth and the best way you're going to do that is if your team does well so you all are studying you're all are practicing at least ideally right and of course you have your, your expect you know your 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 outliers but you know bringing those people and i think it's been uh major boons to a lot of these teams that have done so at least yeah. i will also say there's a there are major similarities for me between uh fusion and uh bosna in that regard because mm. both of them have really solid academy systems the the, the yeah. difference being that boston tends to sell off their, their uh mm. players there's also promotion going on we have to acknowledge that that is also going on in, in fusion but basically it's it seems like these two organizations almost have the best take on scouting and developing talents while fusion likes to keep those players for a longer period of time um it's it's for boston they they sell them off and share the um the goods across the league i think in, in that regard i think these two organizations have figured the academy system out mm -hmm. the most depending mm -hmm. on what your goal actually is because there's no doubt that fusion university is the most dominating um or dominant contenders team in their region anywhere yeah Right. I want to move on and talk about the Titans really quick because the uh, Titans, I, I I mean, man, I don't want to, and this is something that I really struggled with in the beginning here is I didn't want to like uh, overvalue the Titans, but you know, they looked really good. I mean, uh, Twilight probably uh, hit one too many discorded headshots before Bumper could even dive in, you know? So it's kind of like, 
because even even when they were when they were playing against Shanghai, they're playing against double poke. And when you're playing against double poke and you're running uh, monkey uh, goats, it's kind of it, it's tough to get that second poke, right? Because monkey can only go to one of the pokes. But when that other poke is at twenty five percent health from those uh, twilight headshots, it's just mm. uh, a little. You know, like I can't tell. I don't want to. Still, I don't want to ride too high. But man, the Titans looked decisive, Joe. Yeah, no, they've they said at the top of my stage one power rankings for a reason. Um, I think they're coming in. They are a pre-built team. This is not a team that you had to build. You know, coming into it, which again, I still think has some value. I do think um, the. I'm at least not entirely too sold on how successful that will be in the long run over Overwatch's history, but uh, there's there's you know evidence to prove that building a team is just as good, if not better, than just signing a good team and trying to add to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Titans is is a sick team. They have experience in multiple different metas. They have the synergy. They have the coordination. The players are sick. Um, it's hard for me to to argue otherwise. Let's talk about the Overwatch League love rectangle that's going right now, going on right now, and like the top like three through eight. I don't really know where I would put them exactly, but Dallas gets four four owed by San Francisco, right? And then San Francisco loses to the Gladiators. Then the Fuel beat the Dynasty. Dynasty beat the Gladiators, right? Mm-hmm. Uh. Uh, That's so, four corners. How is that a triangle? Yeah, it, it's, no, a, it's, sorry, a it's a rectangle. It's a rectangle. Listen maybe. here, Yiska. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know my geometry. I know you're gonna make a like a United States uh, education Edumacation. system joke. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, well, what here? I I was not the child okay. left behind. Thank you very much. Did you go to German boarding school? Uh, I did. By the way, what's our German phrase for uh, for this week? No, what was oh. the last one that we just never? neglected it was it was i can't remember something about a donkey donkey brain yeah Yeah, donkey donkey bridge bridge. (laughs) (laughs) i'm not even gonna try to pronounce it is this book is basically something like a trick that you remember something by and the more ridiculous it is because donkey bridge sounds pretty ridiculous right but the more ridiculous it is the better it sticks in your mind no we talked about this last week because there's no horrors horrors or all horrors lay down and that's According why the axis is horizontal. Yeah, horizontal, horizontal lie down. That's how, that's learning, how Joe, uh, learning math. Christopher, that's how Joe remembers the word horizontal. Is that horizontal? here, okay. I was 12. That's his life. I'm sure there are Bridget other people that have done this. Easels Brooker, okay? Easels Brooker. <laughs> I've absolutely butchered that. <laughs> no, was, okay. All yeah, right. A six out of 10, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My GPA, baby. That's not. Oh, that's not how GPA works on so many levels. Six out of ten. Six out of ten. I'll take it. On a scale of one to four, six out of ten. Uh, Eight out of ten doctors. But I, I would love to get your thoughts, Christopher, on this kind of the gladiator shock, fuel soul. There's just kind of these teams that are. I would say. I would say honestly. I would say Philly has kind of distinguished themselves as above these teams, but I would say directly below them would be Gladiators, Fuel, Shock, Soul, and nobody can make any sense of it. I was wondering if you've got a take to help us make sense of how these teams are uh, kind of jockeying for that whatever third through sixth or seventh place. 
Yeah, I would argue that the, the top of the Overwatch League right now is like ridiculously close. Like if I was to do a tier list, I would say there's like maybe seven or eight teams who all like straight up could beat each other on any given week. Like there is no there's definitely no distinguished like top team that you look at and you think these are a level above everyone else. Unless Titans are, I don't know. We haven't scrimmed them because they arrived late. Maybe they're the new ones. But I don't know. I think that we are not necessarily above those teams you listed. I think if you were to ask me, I think like seven or eight teams like specifically could just beat anyone and that's just the nature of the meta right now. Do you think that that would change uh, if and hopefully when the the meta changes? Do you think that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think over time as well, it'll get better. As more teams get good at GOATS. I think what's going to happen in this meta is every team right now for week one understands that GOATS is the bread and butter of this meta. And that's what every team's spent most of the time doing. But what inevitably will happen is when certain teams figure out that they are weaker at goats than other teams. They're going to look to specialize on DPS comps, or maybe they do these like DPS goats comps with Sombra and stuff. And then like the variance is just going to get bigger and bigger because the nature of goats is if you know the enemy team is a better goats team than you, it doesn't make sense just to go into a game and say, let's just match goats, right? But by the way, if someone wants to pay me to nope. lobby for a <laughs> no, I don't. I, there's, there's nothing I would pay you for, actually. <laughs> All right. Next. No, pay, pay me to lobby for specific changes, just with, like, okay, you, so you pick a comm, for instance, you're Chengdu, you're playing Armeng, you want Hammond comms all the way, like, just pay me, I'll, I'll try to talk to Jeff Kaplan and force these, uh, like, okay, jokes aside, it will be a li little bit of a lottery, I feel like. And I also think this opens up interesting avenues towards mm. providing balance feedback in order to almost, you know, tamper a little bit with the competition. No, but, but seriously, like, there's a lot of power there. And I know there are feedback channels. It's, it, mm. it will be interesting who preve uh, prevails in that regard because we've seen how valuable it is to be the first in, in a certain meta and also stick with it yeah. for a longer period of time, right? So, like, I made the joke of, like, if um, a fool that persists in his folly becomes wise. That's just how it seemed to be, right? It's interesting you say that because I noticed one thing, like, on Twitter, like, for the past six months, how long GOATS has been meta. It's NA players every day. We hate GOATS. Nerf GOATS. Please nerf GOATS. And mm -hmm. EU Twitter. No, it's fine. Like, this meta's, this meta's coolio. Just keep it where it is. Because it favors the NA players to go away from this of meta, course. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, historically, we've seen that. Like, look at look at season one of Contenders for 2018. We saw like the Doom for Sombra. We saw people trying to give different looks to these teams that were one tricking goats in NA. And EU, it was just a battle of it was a gentleman's handshake. We're gonna run goats. You're gonna run goats. Let's see who the better man is, or you know, person. Mm. Yeah. Great distinguished that, distinguishing that, language, by the way. That's, Good that's, that's two points. Reformed, maybe reformed. <laughs> that's an element to esports that would be crazy as money and or uh, with the price stakes that we have now with these franchises, where you know competitive success really is very important towards your uh, financial uh, situation mm -hmm. as well. It's like. In football, nobody asks, you know, like, okay, what, 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 what kind of rules can be changed so Ronaldo stays like the best till he's forty? Oh, that doesn't happen. You mean soccer? It might very well happen in, yeah. I said football. Um, <laughs> I was like, there's not a Ronaldo that plays in the NFL. 
Don't get I don't think they play football in the NFL. <laughs> Listen here. I mean, he might appear in one of your advertisements, which apparently is a national sport, which I realized upon watching the last Super Bowl. You watched the last are, Super Bowl? There was a yeah. Ronaldo ad no. in the Super Bowl? No, that wasn't. To turn some people to actual, you know, <laughs> sports. Let's have a discussion about three football versus people football. Care about, other than that little island, it's it's really it's. It's, it's not a, about how many people carry about it. It's about how many nukes the hosting country has. <laughs> Actually, since I've come to America, that's the one way they refuse to budge on. Like, I'll say trash instead of like rubbish in England, but I'll never, ever, ever call football soccer. It won't happen. It's always football. so. So, what, what, what do you call them? Is it just American football? Are you a hand egg yeah. guy? No, like... American football, right? All right, yeah. all right. It is super tangential, but it is surprising to kind of like remember that like soccer is like a like a absolutely massive sport. Like it's European like football four, is four times absolutely incredible. Like so it's crazy. Yeah. I, I, I believe, and I, 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 nobody fact check me on this, but I believe that American football was actually originally discovered in the UK, like originally started in the UK, which makes it even more confusing. Really, it's probably just an adaptation of rugby now. I would imagine so, yeah. They just like slapped armor on the guys and was like, all right, what if we just do this? Yeah. Hit uh, like, them wherever you want now. Yeah. Which is which is interesting. Again, another oh tangent. Yeah. CTE, not as big of a problem in rugby. Because you have to tackle below below the waist, right? So. Yeah. You're not like just head down running headlong into people, you know, ruining your brain and your life for the next, you know, lifetime. You know, but, people, uh, have anywho. Come, people have come to know Tactical Crouch is an amazing resource of knowledge <laughs> uh, when it comes to, you know, com- competitive Overwatch. Here. But uh, I, I think for the last like three minutes, we failed you. And it's <laughs> not, actu- not it's not actually it. me. It's not my fault this time. So uh, the question really is if, if you can get CTE from Tactical Crouching on someone's face. What's CTE? Like brain damage. It's brain damage. I don't know what it stands for, but it's brain damage. Okay. Can you, I knew no, once, but then I got CTE. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least not that brain. Let's talk about knee jerk, knee jerk reactions. Sorry, knee jerk reactions. I've been listening to too many of uh, uh, Yiska's German le- lessons. Knee jerk reactions. Set the horse, man. <laughs> man of the woods. That is what I am. So knee-jerk reactions. Obviously, as see, or week one of the season has come to a close, everybody wants to just freak the f out. I've got like four four messages on on Twitter. Two death threats, and two are like, "I told you so. I told you that this team sucks. I told you that this team is whatever." And I'm like, "I don't know what you're talking about." They're like, "Scroll up, bro." And I was like, "I don't." I don't understand what you're saying right now. Let's talk about our own hilarious knee-jerk reactions. For me, number one, knee-jerk reaction. London Spitfire down at number 19 on my power rankings because they're 0-2. Seems fair. Seems, seems <laughs> about right. Seems about right. Yiska, any, my, yeah. Yeah, here's my knee-jerk reaction. Putting Hurricane in would have netted better results than playing the main team. That, but that's that might be right. I'm trying to interpret <laughs> Christopher's okay, uh, face. Uh, I coached British Hurricane for three weeks mm-hmm. before I got the Philly gig, right? 
but we were never a GOATS team. Like, even in season true. three, That's right? True. Like, Hurricane were maybe the EU team which wanted to do the least GOATS, I think. Yep. In total. You you always trying to move Haffy around, yeah. putting him on the Widow, yeah, putting right. him on the Sombra. Like, if there was a team to not put in the Goats meta, I think it would be the Hurricane. I mean, but I still think they probably do better than London. To be fair, to be fair, they probably I, still I really, do better. Really don't agree. Actually, that's, <laughs> that's maybe the knee-jerk reaction that I hate the most. This idea that every EU <laughs> contender trial open division team would destroy every Overwatch League team. Like it's it's so yeah, wrong. Actually, wrong. it's so yeah. wrong. Yeah, every is definitely most definitely wrong, and also the fact that um, Hurricane plays more different comms would then open up the Overwatch League teams to flex onto right. DPS mm -hmm. positions where yeah. they would just muscle them. A hundred percent. I think maybe you could make an argument that if you could clone Season Two Giganti or Season Two Eagle Gaming sure. and put them in in this meta, I think they would be they would still be in the top. They wouldn't be like by far and away. They would be in the pack with like the seven or eight mm -hmm. teams I mentioned before. But I don't think I don't think that the Overwatch League level of goats is terrible. Like most people seem to seem to think it is. I feel like we're gonna oh, have a man. disagreement about oh, this. Oh wow! I, like I'm I'm like, cover, maybe I I'm just look. confused. I can't. Look. That's the thing. That's that's the that's the difference that I wanted to get into. That that Christopher is 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 postulating that there's a difference between owl goats and contenders. Yeah. But mm. so we'll, we'll I feel like away. most people think that EU goats is optimal. And sure. because Overwatch League, the, their style of goats is different, okay, then it, it's worse, right? That's what people seem to react to. Mm -hmm. But like from playing at EU Contenders, from playing with Team UK to playing in Overwatch League, there's like stylistic differences in the way that teams play goats. So I don't think one is inherently better than the other. I just think that it comes from the mindset that Overwatch League players have compared to European players. Like mm -hmm. Overwatch League, goats is like so much more focused around like positioning, like okay, can we rotate this way, take the high ground, like put a Zoya on yeah. high ground that's holding this choke. Whereas EU, they don't care about that. Like EU is pure efficiency. That's how EU yeah. plays goats. It's like, okay, on this map, how many different fights can we get? Why don't we just hold them in spawn? But then the cart doesn't move. It takes a minute off the clock. Let's fight them again here. They fight them in here again. I think that, so if, you have, if I had to pick a style, I would go for EU. But I honestly think that the optimal way to play goats is somewhere in the middle, actually. I think there's stuff that Overwatch League teams do with goats that EU teams don't do that. I think if they were less arrogant about their own level of play, they could learn from and improve. Mm. I, th I think particularly, but always stands out to me is that Overwatch League Zarya's seem to all think they're Spider-Man in almost way too many situations where it's like, just from watching and then also talking to um, EU contenders coaches, it seems to me that the Reinhardt is open so often and it's just not punished for these situations because, for instance, EU uh, goats would then have the, the Zarya use personal bubble in order to take some pressure off the Reinhardt. And I can see, for instance, let's say a Hollywood situation, right, where it's like you have a lot of great high ground, you can uh, farm, mm -hmm. grab very quickly, play around that, even though the graphs are also pretty bad. Mm -hmm. I have to say, like, it's... Um, yeah, I wonder, I, I probably agree that, for instance, on Hollywood, it makes sense. I wonder if the approach, I, I understand what you mean by saying there's the hybrid, because sometimes, yes, it seems to be that they do, almost don't care about map architecture in the specific points. It's almost like, okay, so this is a, a, a length. Let's cut that in three parts. Yeah, That's 100%. three fights. It doesn't matter if there's a high ground here or a high ground there. 
like like um I, I understand that part even though i think there's at least some sophistication uh, in gigantis um play there but yeah i i, I think in general there are pretty to me glaring holes in in especially reinhardt's vulnerabilities that also aren't really taken advantage of as often. Oh, i i agree with that i think that there is a lot of overwatch league teams which still don't fully understand like the strengths and weaknesses and the win conditions of goats and i think that over time like the more teams scrim paris specifically i think teams are going to like figure out i can already see like we would scrim paris they would do a certain comp or a certain style on a map and then over time the next week scrimming other teams more and more teams are like okay this is quite smart what they're doing and mm -hmm. i think that that's the evolution of which league will have eventually would you say that paris is more eu or owl goats paris is if, the, if you've got this is the left and this is EU goats and this is Overwatch League goats, Paris is as far left as humanly possible. <laughs> we scrimmed Paris for the first time and I, it was like one of my favorite scrims ever because every single spot, every single rotation, I knew they were going to do it. It was so like they just play like the SATA team does, like an EU team does. Mm -hmm. Like there is no differences. They play the exact way that you expect them to play. And it is. Most teams were this. Does does it phase you at all when you hear that? Um... Paris lost seventy percent of their scrims against the against the higher yeah, well, EU teams. The Paris the Paris players tell me that the seventy percent number is maybe higher than the true. I mean that is also um, always yeah. the case. We yeah. know that um, this is scrimmeth. Like, I don't know. Like, they're a new team that that came together, and of course, when you're playing against established teams, like the scrim results don't go perfectly. For, from what it's worth talking sure. to Cruz and my own personal opinion. If you played Giganti versus Paris, I think Paris would steamroll them right now. I don't think there's any logic to the point where Giganti could beat Paris because you pick the best EU contenders players, you pick the coaches with the most fundamental knowledge of GOATs, you put them in an environment which is so useful to improve, like an apartment gaming house type setup in the Overwatch League. Mm -hmm. I cannot see an argument for why Giganti would beat Paris. I just don't see it. I think at this point this might still be the case, but yeah, I agree that eventually that. At least the trajectories are absolutely unequal. Like the way that these two teams likely improve is just mm. the the arch is way higher for for or has to be for parents. I think. Yeah, mm. I, I agree. I think that maybe uh, EU as a region, I think, has this idea that if you have EU blood in your veins, you just fundamentally understand goats. Like when I was one years old, my first words were "Go goats, lol." <laughs> Like that's what that's what that was my first words because I'm European. But I think the truth is there is like a handful of teams that really understand it. I think the Eagle Gaming Core really understand it. I think any player that's ever played on a SATA team really understands it. Mm -hmm. I would like to argue that Team UK we had a pretty pretty good understanding of the meta. And I think the teams where these players have gone into the league and different teams, those teams have a really good opportunity to understand it. But I personally believe that like. The EU contenders teams now that never had access to being coached by like Fefe or Seta or playing with Eagle Gaming or Ganty players yeah. don't understand GOATs at a higher level in a watch league at all. Just because the European, I don't think it makes makes a difference. What What is interesting though is that there seems to be some residual quality within the Giganti core. And I think a lot of it comes down to Dabin because mm -hmm. once again, I, I hear this from sources. This is actually not from Giganti sources. But they are clapping EU right now. Yeah, it's I heard the close. same. I heard the same. So they, they also uh, have Zappis and Zuppe, right? Who are old NIP people. So they so yes. they also have a really really fundamental understanding of tank matter from the good old days. Mm -hmm. And I would also personally argue that like 
season two of this season of contenders was when goats was at its best and it's when all the best players but there was a lot of coaches and players that got taken from eu yes people argue that we were undervalued and not enough eu players went to the league <laughs> but there was loads of eu players that went to the league maybe not as many as korea but yeah. the vast majority of the ganti got gutted like angry titans lost all their coaches uh, eagle gaming lost players and coaches the, yeah. the vast majority of like the people with like fundamental goats understanding are in the league, I think. Mm. Yeah, with few exceptions, and I'm not sure if it isn't due to them turning down opportunities uh, here and there. I, I heard that people who you would consider to be very good at least um, turned down uh, academy trials, for instance. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, currently the situation it's it's quite clear that you actually have a big chance if you're, for instance, one of those continuous EU players that is a, an academy player that is a two-way, this is actually your chance to, in season one, to yeah, trigger that clause and just sit, sit in the league for the rest of your contract length, right? So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation there. Yeah. When you mentioned um, UK Overwatch, I thought it was actually kind of fitting that it at least draws some parallels to this owl style. Um, you, you mentioned that the owl kind of goat style is very heavily positionally focused. And after talking to some of the players, um, after you guys had, you know, played against them during at the World Cup, um, a lot of people started to complain about Kim specifically and how aggressively he was positioned and how, you know, it was very difficult to play against him. You know, a lot of the main tanks were very frustrated specifically. Um, I think Canada was was very not happy with how um, they played against you guys or, or you know, there's, there's just so many main tanks that were so frustrated dealing with Kib. Do you think uh, when it goes back to UK and, and the World Cup team, do you think that that was kind of the, the genesis of this Overwatch League style that is so I, heavily focused about positioning? I think that had UK not shown how good GOATS can be at the World Cup, then I don't know how much GOATS would play in Overwatch League right now. I think that's interesting. I think, mm. ironically, if France had not picked any of the players they picked and just sent Eagle Gaming, Eagle Gaming would have won the World Cup without dropping a single map. I think that... <laughs> no, I promise you they would yeah, have. Like, yeah, Team yeah. UK, we were good at GOATS, but we couldn't take maps off Eagle Gaming. Like They were on another level to what we played like quite considerably. Yeah. I think in that specific meta that we played on World Cup, I think we grasped really quickly yes. that the stun shatter combo is more effective than a grab diva bomb combo. Mm -hmm. And the way you need to play it is you need to use your grab to force the portals out and farm shatter. But the yes. shatter is the one yes. that consistently wins you the fight. And obviously the yeah. current meta, that's like, it's, it's the opposite is maybe yeah. true now. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that we clicked that maybe other teams didn't quite understand. And I think if you don't understand that when you mirror is on goats, like sometimes USA or sometimes Korea did, and you aren't specifically saving your Zarya bubbles to stop that, then it's so just easy to just completely like plow through, yeah? One interesting uh, variation that I've seen from uh, Boston is that so they almost, yes, they try Graph Bomb, but that's their first order of operation. But what they also do is they have Ke uh, Kelex hover over the opposing team. And then almost, uh, it worked very often. With perfect timing, he would drop down like fucking Batman. And then because the Rhinox is still mid-air because of the Graph, would boop upwards and yeah. allow the, the uh, fusions to shatter through right mm -hmm. is that something that can be reliably utilized it's interesting like the way that teams use zaya ult 
within the old economy is interesting. Like I think it's more intelligent to try and force support ults out rather than just take the 50-50. Let's grab combo into their support ults and let's see if we get a kill or not. But you, there is also ways to finesse the combo to make it consistent. The way mm -hmm. you talked about, which a lot of teams will grab and they will hold their diva bomb for maybe two seconds. So they're like, the sucking of the grab runs out and then Lucio can boop and then like, everything explodes, mm -hmm. right? Like there's, there's small intricacies that teams are doing because in this current meta, like how much, how many kills you get with your grab diva bomb is a really, really significant mm -hmm. factor in just snowballing, snowballing, snowballing. And another style of goats that's at least been, at least I've kind of uh, caught up on and, and tried to, to postulate on is this very Korean mentality about how you're supposed to use your support alts. Um, you're, you're seeing a lot of aggressive beat engage. You're seeing a lot of aggressive transes. Is that similar to how the old bash shatter used to function where you're, you're trying to for, or you're asking the enemy team to match you with your trans or your beat and then using your graviton to farm shatter um, yeah. and setting up a bomb. So a lot of teams would originally like shatter first, force the support ult, sure. grab second, get a kill, and then hopefully also like farm your shatter. Right. Uh, that's like the optimal situation. Like for me personally, I was always an advocate. Like especially in previous better, if you have both shatter and grab, and you want to win the fight, you're not worried about necessarily ult economy. I think grabbing first and then shattering afterwards is. And you should actually never lose that if you're like even remotely good at the comp. And I mm. think that's something like I prefer. Like I remember. So for Team UK, a big reason we got so good was Hip, who's now on Paris and was with Eagle. He he was in all of our scrims and he was helping us a lot. And the guy understood goats like a genius. Like they they <laughs> they were so smart. Wait, Eagle gaming. Wait, so he, that is so. He he scrimmed with you guys in, to be spiteful towards his own nation. Yeah, for, for not picking him. But but he taught every single player and coach in Team UK a lot about goats. And I think we owe a lot of our success. Like he actually deserves a lot of credit for. And he, one thing that he told was that. Sometimes, like, if your Diva Bomb and your Zyral were out of sync, a lot of teams would, would hold the grab until you get the Diva Bomb, right? But what Eagle Gamer would do a lot of times is they would just use the grab, farm the Shatter, and win with it. And then if your ults are out of, like, if they're not in sync, it doesn't matter. You have the Diva Bomb and the grab, that's combo. Like, there's no reason not to. But, like, don't waste your Zarya ult to wait 20% for the Diva Bomb, which is interesting. But that's, like, what the second the shield and the bash changes, the entire matter of goats changed. Like the way you use your ult, the way you do everything changed. Like it was such a really significant change. Mm. We came to this point to talking about Kib, and I wondered because he was obviously not playing. Do you think a Kib has the knowledge that he could impart on a team? Of course, language barrier is a problem here. And is is Brig really in a position to carry? Maybe not as much as Reinhardt, but would you play him in that situation? Yeah, I mean, when Kib was on Team UK, the meta was Brig was like maybe the most significant part, and mm -hmm. now it's one of the least significant, I would argue. I think that I have this theory with like certain teams in the Overwatch League where if their coaches are like really humble and they understand who understands goats, that teams should let certain players coach, right? So I think that on Dallas Buell. If Aero and Jane and whoever their coaches are are relatively humble, they should let us. They should go to RCK and say, "Tell me everything you understand about goats. You coach the team. Like, give us the fundamentals." And I think Atlanta should do the same with Massa. And I think that if Wangzu can get past the language barriers, I think doing the exact same for Kib would work. Because I think he does. I know Kib. He has a really good understanding of how to play goats. But it's very difficult for some coaches to step down and be like, 
oh, well, I'm just going to let this guy do my job for now. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's the, like, the optimal way to do it. That would totally. Just give him little, you know, like, post-its under the table, like, and oh, I, I meant to say this. Yeah. And this. And Kib's salary <laughs> is increased <laughs> twice? What? <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that Brig, in, in your opinion, is so um, undervalued, I'll say. Um, what is your take on... Or maybe you can completely disagree with me. Um, I've noticed that some Brigitte players, namely for the Spark, Bazzi, um, and I think EQO specifically, was a, a little bit over-aggressive. Is there a, a plan there that I'm not necessarily understanding? Or, you know, you know what what kind of uh, is, is going on there? I mean, I, I think that Brig isn't as valuable as it once was, but I still think the hero is like incredibly important. And I think okay. the way you use your stuns and the way, like especially what's what's the difference between good brigs and bad brigs is their ability to e when they need to. Like the, the mm. heal pack, I think that's the most significant part of it. That's maybe like the high, it's not necessarily the highest skill, but it, it's what separates good brigs and bad brigs. Sure, sure. I mean, it's the same. I, I would kind of agree with the same thing with Zarya. It's like when and where you're using your resources. Why is there is there a thought process there? Exactly. What are you trying to to kind of alleviate pressure off of? Yeah, I think yeah. it's incredibly important. Within our team specifically, Eco is able to control fights like really well on Brig. Like he's mm. maybe the most vocal player on our team, and I think that his Brig is as good as anyone's in the league. Sure. Yeah. I think it's kind of unfortunate that Briggs were able to make such a difference in the last meta. And now they're just another brick in the wall. All right, that's been episode number that's 20. Show, boys. Crowd. We're out of here. Just done. Just done. We're just like, we're shutting it down. All right, we're not shutting it down. But uh, that's a w formal warning, Yiska. <laughs> Accepted. I deserve For this. Formal warning. <laughs> And, uh, you know, if you want to be a co-host on Tactical Crouch. Wow, uh, looking for openings, boys. <laughs> applications are now open. Send us your uh, your resume on Twitter. Keep it to uh, 280 characters or less, though. Real fast before we get off the aggro break, top, break topic, because I, I, I do kind of want to get to the bottom of this. Um, is there a world where bubbling your brig is as important as bubbling your Rhine if they're playing aggressively? Only if you're and, and why would? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I I, I, I still I. You don't think so? Okay. I think that what happens a lot is when the Rhine dies, your brig becomes your Rhine, right? So you start yeah. to use the shields in the same way. But I think if your Rhine's alive, then you should be using it. Like unless you're using it to save someone, then the, the Zarya shields need to go on the Rhine where possible. Mm. I remember that distinct situation where I think it was King's yeah King's Row out of streets. Neptuno is on the wall, gets bubbled, and I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for Sato to die. I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I know how but, this goes and could hit his. Yeah, EU, but no, right? but that's the thing. I think that if you go back a patch, if you waste a single Zarya bubble, even if the enemy doesn't have Shatter, your Rhine is dead. Because, yeah, but now I think that even if you waste a Zarya bubble, I don't think it's a guarantee that your Rhine dead. I think you step mm. back and you just hold shield. I think you can survive way longer. I think mm -hmm. that. You can be you can be more loose with the Azaria bubbles now if you're just using it for energy to to do to bubble someone like the Lucio in this example. Mm. I don't think it's as as big a deal as it was that you waste one bubble, your Ryan's dead. I don't think that's how it works anymore. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So so ideally, you could hide your brig, 
kind of play like the you know the sneaky run like i have shatter i'm gonna hide in the corner the team yeah. comes out doesn't check the corner you can put brig behind you i think you guys did that on on nepal against atlanta quite a bit and that's kind of where i'm headed with the the aggressive brick talk i think spark did this quite well on nimbani to a mixed degree you know i think bazzi uh, stayed in a little bit too long but yeah i think there is some merit there that you can put your brig a little bit off sides and bring them out yeah. because you can live a little bit longer without the zarya bubble these days i think the very best teams in the league are still able to like semi-consistently do stone shatters like if they see the sure. moments like with the correct angles and the correct speed i think it's still a possible combo and it's really effective if you can hide the brick like when they're coming mm. through the choke but i think like we if we don't see brick everyone in that everybody's like, where's like brick, where's brick, around, where's, yeah. brick, where's brick where's brick where's brick because it's happened after and getting it... hit by the combo and then <laughs> right yeah mm. all right I want to I want to move forward a little bit. Let's let's move forward for a second. I want to talk a little bit about uh, this next coming week and the Philadelphia Fusion actually have a really big important match this week against the Dallas Fuel. And I want to know: no Dallas Fuel coaches or players are listening. What's your strategy? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but 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 I want to talk. I mean, what what can you tell us about uh, this upcoming match as far as? You know what? What you see maybe is as the fuel's strength, and uh, I mean, obviously, I want to hear if you think you're going to win, Christopher. Well, like, to yeah. be honest with you, I think we're in big, big trouble. A respected coach of mine went on stream and he told us that our goats wasn't just bad; it was horrible. It was something similar to a car wreck, and how it's not even worth saving. So I think, based on these comments, I don't think we stand a chance really against Dallas Fuel, considering how good they are. Presumably, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, 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 I saw sure some. You... I saw some. I saw some grabs out of Dallas that were not pretty. I'm just saying. No, like I, I'm not sure if his statement actually inclu included or excluded Dallas Fuel themselves. He was talking he specifically that. about Spitfire versus Fusion. That's what it he was. was talking that's, about. that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And he, and he did the thing where he was incredibly disappointed with the level of goats play. So we'll we'll focus on it. Otherwise, we just won't send the chance. Presumably. <laughs> Oh my God, I like this banter. Oh. I, I, you know what, Christopher? I, I think more European talent needs to come in because you and Cruz have brought a level <laughs> of, of banter and, and shit talkery that this league is needed. We this is what we need. Overwatch. We talk good Overwatch. Yeah. It's 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 nice. So <laughs> I just I don't even know where to go. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, Joe. All right. Yes. I, I mean, what? obviously, Christopher is right here. So you got yeah. you got to I don't know play it cool or whatever. Otherwise, he'll never come on the show again. Mm -hmm. uh, but give it regardless of that fact. Uh, you know, uh, fuel versus fusion. This is this is supposedly a big one. And again, fuel beat the dynasty, but they get four would by the shock here. Where where do you, where are you landing on this one? I really think that whole love rectangle is is very much um, playing on the theme of the show about, about styles and how styles come, you know, how, how they are or are not compatible with one another. Um, how does I think Philadelphia is very much I wouldn't I wouldn't say they are lacking style or color, but they don't need to be as colorful, right? I don't think they need to be as creative. I don't think you need to throw in the Sombra, even though we've seen Poco on it. Um, Dallas, on the other hand, they, they they seem to find a lot of success, very much the same way as London did. 
Um, I think Philadelphia has a very fundamental understanding of goats is a little rough around the edges at times for sure. What team doesn't have problems, right? Dallas, on the other hand, I think they need to be a little bit more creative. I think their ultimate usage is a little bit lacking. I think, you know, maybe there were some nerves last night. I don't know, but, uh, you know, uh, my prediction game has been looking a little rough and I don't have the uh, the leisure to, to vote Dallas. So this is uh, this is pretty much Philly. I'd say like 65, 70 percent. That, that, no, no, bias, that's a, no, bias, that's though. a generous spread. That's usually that for Joe. That's like a 51, 49. Lead yeah. there. <laughs> like it's his literally his name is Joe. Hedge yeah, your bets yeah, Franco. Yeah. 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 He doesn't. He doesn't Think. really say say things. No, n- n- no jokes aside. You know, humor. You know, put in a corner. I, I do think Philadelphia has the, the better goats. I think that Dallas has to finagle with their roster a little bit more than Philly does. I will say. There have been improvements. I thought uh, against London, Sato's Winston looked a little shaky, but the Rhine seemed to play out against atlanta he seemed to be a lot more comfortable on the winston um yeah i think i think this is pretty safe i think this is a safe bet to say philly again christopher if you were here i'd say the same thing that that's an interesting uh point by the way which is i've i've talked to, to a bunch of analysts and they all said that they would probably expect fraggy to hot carry in this meta now at the same time, you also want your main tank to not be the flexible component of your composition. Because if you go through all the successful L teams, they had this one, you know, player that sticks with the core, develops synergy. It's it's quite important. So I understand from that standpoint, for instance, taking a couple of percentages off now and just applying them to the trajectory of the season. Do you of course this is this is probably a weird coaching territory, Christopher, but is there something to that theory in terms of Sato and Fraggy? I think that this is an issue that's perhaps more complex than I should talk about in a podcast. I mm. think that the core of this team went through a lot last season, wins, losses, and I think that the core that played playoffs created like a, a really unique bond with each other based on the success they ended up having. And I think that it was difficult for us at times to pick a roster that didn't what that just wasn't those six players considering like how well hmm. they now work together. I also think that from a purely tactical point of view, we are actually like we're quite reliant on our Winston Goats at times. I think our Winston Goats is as good as anyone's in the mm-hmm. league. And I think that the maps where we we win, we often get a very good head start by a good hold with a Winston Goats or something, for example. And I think that we don't necessarily want to change that no i don't think you should i think it i mean specifically against london i think rialto was just a master class at how good sato can be at and how how tactical you guys are at specifically you know each and every point it, kind of in that uh, eu style breaking it down you know this is the rotational path if we just cut them here if they match us on winston we do this you know it, it seemed very formulaic and london looked completely lost and i go back to what i said about london being slow to adapt they didn't know what to do and for what it's worth in the series yesterday against Atlanta, um, Sada was our best player by far. And mm-hmm. his prime was absolutely excellent yesterday. Yeah. Really, really good, so. mm. yeah. It was it was big. Joe, is this a position where I point out the Baroy Sado story? 
Oh, Dark Mirror. Uh, yeah, I was going to write an article on it, but he can't ever uh, back me up on exactly what he told me. But yeah, you can tell a story. Okay, so when last season, when um, when Baroy was looking into stats and doing some consulting, he mentioned that there was a Winston play and he only used like Korean lettering. So they I can tell you what that was. lettering was. Continue, though. Okay, okay. So he kept for for weeks he kept raving on oh he's so good and nobody knows him and yeah like the story went on and of course Sato was unable to play but then eventually i think in stage four or something as late as that maybe even playoffs we found out that this winston that had out, outstanding stats and also i think on ryan as well uh was actually Sato. he was actually a massive statistical outlier that looked like uh, looked to be a uh, great talent within the scene that wasn't really that discovered. Yeah, uh, yeah. when Sada was first picked up for Philadelphia a year ago, I was obviously still friends with Hayes and, mm. and Kirby, and they sure. told me that they thought Sada was the best Winston they'd ever seen. And I will say that when I watched him scrim, I was a Winston player, but someone told me that primal range, primal range blows my mind. Like, I don't understand <laughs> how you have that much control over weight. Like, they stand no chance. If he starts struggling, you, he puts you weight way once you like there's nothing you can do against it it's crazy one of the names that uh i was i was fed information of when the korean characters translate into the word soap 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 that's that's his that was his handle on the korean ladder at least one of many um you know some people attribute him to the dark miro account i don't know if that was in in korean hangul but uh there he has one account called soap Makes sense because he made a uh, mirror look washed. That's true. I did that. There's a lot of puns you can make there. That was a good one, though. Yeah, yeah. it's good. It was good. Thank we you. don't have to cancel the show on that one. One for one. Can I have my, can I have my spot back on this podcast now, please? <laughs> I mean, no, 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 not at all. But, you know, like you don't get kicked off for that one. So uh, kudos to you. Let's talk about this next matchup, though. This one's going to be pretty interesting Vancouver versus Shock. Christopher, you don't have any skin in the game here. I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, what you expect to see out of this match. It'll be very interesting. So I said before we hadn't scrimmed Vancouver a single time due to the nature that they came so late to the league, right? Um, We have scrimmed Shark. I only saw highlights of Vancouver's game, but from what I saw, they were clean, like really clean. And I think that this will be a really, really good good test for them because to be fair I think Shanghai are way underrated I actually think they're pretty decent and I think they had a rough stage one mm. but Vancouver bodied them right mm. so so I don't know I, if Titans win convincingly I think that it's maybe fair to put them at number one in the league I think it'll be uh, a testament to you know Krusty and the coaching staff on how quickly they can take both Smurf and Super and kind of you know dial them back a little bit. It seemed like Dallas was abusing their front line a little bit too often, and it was with two different main tanks. Um, so I'll be interested to see how quickly they can reel them back in because it, it feels like when they won versus Dallas and not the Gladiators, the Gladiators seemed to punish them when they beat Dallas. It seemed like it was on the back of that aggression, playing very high tempo, playing, you know, to their rhythm. And they weren't being punished for it as much. And, and Dallas kind of broke down. There was, you know, some miscommunication, it looked like, through the, the, the play. But 
Vancouver, like you said, on the other hand, looks very clean. Um, if they can, you know, reel them back in, I think it is going to be very close. Um, but that's going to be the the kind of theme there is uh, what does the the shock front line look like coming into this? It's match? definitely the best fixture of next week. It's definitely sure, of course, yeah, the best game. That, to watch. That's the that's the one thing why I'm not at all concerned for shock yet with that loss against Gladiators because to me. Just look look at it from Krusty's perspective, right? Sure. You have two equally skilled tanks, likely. You also have to sort of t uh, keep mind of how the comms work in terms of language and everything. Now, you have a situation where a lot of get players are banned still or mm -hmm. suspended, where some of them are not of age. The meta is not that well known. It's still stage one. You can still turn it around. This is more like a, it looks to me to be a selection process of, okay, who can bring it on stage? Who is the main tank we will, we will focus on for the rest of the season? Who wins this duel? And let's take some losses, yeah. even though I don't think they expected sure. that to happen. Sure. It's, it's one of the most interesting things in Overwatch, the, the way that teams utilize their roster. Like mm. Atlanta, for example, they gave every single player playtime. It actually hard tilted me. I actually was so <laughs> because on the poll they subbed out their diva player. So yes. in the coaching room we were like, okay, they're gonna play triple DPS here. So we started comps in the poll to count the triple DPS, but they subbed their off tank out to play goats fully, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't understand it. But I, my guess is they just rotate playtime, and as as the standings go on, as playoffs get nearer, teams are going to stop rotating as many and teams are going to find the core. What's interesting is I think if you looked at the, the grand final playoff last year, the six teams, I think New York were the only team that played over seven players. Like I think almost all of the teams stuck to like seven or eight players. Like Even with the ones bigger rosters, they, they just stuck to the same people. And I think it's also interesting that it seems that most of the teams that were in the grand final playoffs last year are now rotating their players left. Like, how many times in NYXL's games did they rotate players? Like, maybe one DPS yeah. out here and there. London, yeah. I think, one DPS here and there. Like, we didn't make any changes the whole week. So it's really so, interesting to see the, the two, like, philosophies teams mm -hmm. have as far as their rosters. You, you can see how averse to this strategy of switching everyone out Christopher already was and how indoctrinated you already are to Philly. Because you obviously would never do that, Rip Joe Meister. <laughs> hey man, Snell came in. He had some clutch plays, but again, it's you know one or two people here or there that you know. I mean, last season Philly was changing rosters every week, right? Yep. I think that, yeah. I think well, part part due in part because they kind of had to, right? Yeah, so was, was so for thirty games, games right? Yeah. But I think that one thing, like internally, they realized that maybe that's not the optimal way to be consistent across the season. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, I think that's something that Shock is going to have to face as well with, you know, their massive DPS line. They're again, I penned them as as being a very London nest team where they're going to yeah. whittle down the roster little by little. They might not completely just let go and, and jettison yeah. half of the roster, but you're going to see, like Christopher said, a, a core built. And again, last match of uh, next week, and we see Violet come back. So you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm sleeping on them a little bit much. You know, I want to see what Violet uh, does with the yeah. roster. I've heard very very that, good things. He's very. He's very good. That is that is the biggest thing where I can't believe how people are flipping out about Shock doing poorly mm. when that is one of the biggest upgrades a team will receive through through uh, eligibility of their players that is going to come this season. Like the upgrade from from Sleepy to Violet to me seems to be very severe. 
and also Zen is still fairly uh, super important. Important. So it's yeah, it, I expect them to be a very different team when. Yeah, he I think in. if if Shot, teams like Shot can stay in the running for playoffs at the end of the stage, whilst rotating players out, then their upswing once they get to the last two a week, two or three weeks, and they just focus on the core. Because in goats, like you really don't need to sub players out for different hero pools, right? It's really mm -hmm. not important at all. So once teams like Shot get their best six and play their best six, their upswing could be huge, like really significant. Mm -hmm. The question is, they have so many superstars on that team. Like, how many of them can handle being benched? Yeah. Like, tail of a dragon. Happen? I don't want to be a tail of a dragon, man. I'm not interested. I want to breathe a fire. Pass. Pa what is it? True. Tail of the dragon, head of a snake. Right? Something was that what like it was? That. Yeah, something like that. I'm the same way. I, yeah, that's really. Let's talk about this last one though. So there's one more match I want to highlight this week, and that's going to be. Paris Eternal, God, fix your logo, and uh, the LA Gladiators here. Uh, going to be an interesting one. We talked about, oh my God, I'm going to sneeze. I'm gonna, we talked about the Gladiators. <laughs> that, that's, that's a Go XLR promotional right there. I know, that was, Hashtag that's ad. why you have a cough button whenever there you're you hosting. Wow, that was intense. Uh, the uh, Paris Eternal versus the LA Gladiators. Gladiators got off to, I don't want to say a rocky start, because I, I don't think that that's fair to them, but they did. It bounced uh, back, man. You know, they, they lost to Soul Dynasty 3-1, to one, and then they come back and they beat the Shock 3-2, to two, so this is going to be kind of a, a, a big guess, as, hey, as Paris on, is kind of seen as... Paris is kind of seen as maybe the best team at GOATS in Overwatch right now. Like, they... they, they at least what I'm hearing is that they're kind of the team to beat. But more than hey, anything, they, they seem to be the gatekeepers. If I were going to say, if there's a gatekeeper to sure. uh, whatever, top three, top four, uh, I, I would yeah. say, you know, defeating Paris Eternal have to be uh, part of that. You can't be in the top three or top four if you lose yes. to Paris. And so, despite Yiska just shooting me down, just let me ask a no, question. No, no. What I'm, say what I'm yeah. saying is, I wanted to make the joke that, like you, you, you can't take what Gladiators did too seriously yet. He's just seventeen, dude. He's just seventeen. He's just a kid. He's just a kid. You know what? What? Um, uh, Depay kept repeating when we talked about Decay. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think that that roster still, like, is very good, and also it's it's not like they threw. Uh, sorry, it's not like shock through against them. I think it was always going to be a very competitive match. I think with Paris specifically, out of all of the teams in like top eight, as I called it, they might be the most consistent. And I think that they're the team that's going to, if you beat them, you have to outplay them. They're never going to underperform. Like their team, their swap system is very clear. They're like, their identity is a team. Their style of play is so consistent. And it's like, they know, you know what they're going to do. They know what they're going to do. So. I expect in the in the big games, I actually think they'll do really well. You think they're gonna win? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I I, I am a I'm little hoping, bit. I hope that us and Paris is six zero by the time we meet in the last day of stage one. That's what I want. That'll be a fun one for sure. That'll be. Good. I am I am still a little. I I do think Paris is gonna win, but I I just don't know to what degree. Um, Gladiators is uh, a weird bunch. I, I, I think they're good, but 
the 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 level up that they had the the kind of scouting that they did i don't know exactly what happened again versus versus shock there if it was shock underperforming um but they they looked to be pretty good i still think this is pretty safe bet on paris but um i i, I want to see exactly what gladiators turn out on that on uh, on february 23rd you were pretty high on uh on paris just now and saying like you hope that they go 6-0 right part of that has to be from their coaching staff experience and of course Saita like being so like the goats whisperer could you explain to viewers that don't quite understand the legend of Saita who has you know like sat in his lobbies and oh, it's unbelievable it's unbelievable he's a he's a literally a legend like I'm maybe the biggest Saita fan in human history and I get so much shit off it off my team I get bullied for it because I'm always talking about how much I, I love the guy even though I've never played in a team with him or anything like that um like he, he is extremely, extremely, extremely disciplined. Like, I remember there was a story that maybe two years ago when he was in NIP, he single-handedly made EU start arriving on time to scrims because NIP was so far above every single team in Europe at the time. What Saito would do is, if you did not show up to scrims on time, you would just blacklist you because he didn't care, right? So every <laughs> single team just would start to be like on time. If you had an NIP scrim, you were there five minutes early. You didn't want to risk it. And eventually, like the discipline like came up. I think that he has maybe shaped the meta of Overwatch more than any human being in Overwatch history. I think that the way that NIP played tanks, like, the reason Europe is so tank favored is because his team was so good at GOATS, that you played against him, you lost, and you say, okay, we just have to do the same thing. And it was the same on NIP, it was the same on old Gigani, it was the same on new Gigani, it's probably the same on new, new Gigani. Like, every Sata team, like, they they were so good at what they did that teams in Europe were just like, oh, we just got to copy it, right? I think mm-hmm. I think he's a legend, actually. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that? And he's such a mystery as well. Yes! Like, yeah, it's crazy. That's what's so great about him. Dude, apparently Christopher I've, hasn't heard of kick tripod dive, but besides that, yeah. I've I've thought about writing an article about Saita. It would be called The Legend of Saita. And then I would talk about how I saw him at Takeover One and didn't realize I saw a ghost. I no. couldn't have known at the time, but this was a rare sighting. I saw the unicorn. Was he definitely there? He was there, yeah. Oh yeah, that surprised me actually. Yeah. I heard that he only he only does Finnish lands. I heard that's like as far as you see, but I don't know. I'm pretty sure he was there, yeah. Okay, fair enough. You I should look, write I looked at about him. him. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of good stories people have about him. Yeah. When <sighs> we first scrimmed NIP in the back in the day, like his team was so dominant that he didn't let spectators have global spectate. He thought they'll learn too much from us compared to what we learned from them. So he just locked the coaches to only spectate in your team's POV. So they couldn't get anything from him. <laughs> And it was only once it was only once one time meta died and they like they t- tried to play like triple DPS dive, which they were not good at at all. He was like, okay, we actually do need to have global spectate now, we need to learn from other teams. But for the first month we'd scrim them, no, you could do it. My favorite story about like I think that NIP as a team was so far and away the best team in the world in triple tank meta two years ago, but nobody knows it because there was no tournaments. I remember we I played for a team called the Chavs and we were like a tank specialist team as well yeah, we were getting really the good the and, and we were starting to beat like all these like melty we were starting to beat dignitas and we were like okay we're really good and we got our first ever scrim versus nip and we we're really excited for it and we got absolutely destroyed i think we won one map we lost five it wasn't close and we were sat there like they're never gonna scrim us again we just wasted <laughs> our biggest opportunity 
And Satan messaged me that, that same day, let's book more scrims. You were the closest any team's played is in weeks. Wow. And we got slapped. <laughs> That's how good his team was back in the day. Jesus. Yeah, I remember talking to some of the, the OG NIP members and, you know, kind of postulating questions to them. You know, if you guys ended up going to Apex, how good would you do? And it's the same the same story regurgitating. They, you know, I, 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 they think they would have won. It, you know, their style was different, but they, they, they're pretty confident that they would have just smashed everybody. Pretty all crazy. Right. Europe and goats go way back. Way, 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 way That's back. where it all started. That's where all of EU's dominance and how good we are at the goats comps in general so all comes yep. from NIP. Every single bit of it. I just don't want to have to have a history book just to understand goats. You don't need a history book. I will plug a very famous article written by the one and the only Sideshow Overwatch. Good old Sideshow actually has a very brief, uh, well, I guess it's not brief. It's actually like a three-part series on the history of NIP and kind of talking about their rise in EU. And I think it does a nice job of uh, kind of teaching us about uh, pre-Overwatch League eras and uh, some of the teams that have kind of seriously impacted the way that we uh, view the game. I think that they were definitely out of their time and Sideshow uh, encapsulates that very well. Planned. So, plugged. Planned. Let's get out of here. This, we're we're over time already. We're taking way too much. You know, if the if the fusion lose this week, it's because we took the extra. We're, we're 10 holding minutes. up Christopher on scrims, man. Yeah. We we held him up. So uh, you can thank Tactical Crouch. Uh, if the fusion loses this week, you can't blame Christopher because it's our fault. Let's go ahead and get out of here. I mean, so number one, Yeska, let's let's talk about this really quick, dude. Like, you need to sleep. I saw For you. Had, I saw you had the apparatus. Anya earlier, but you're like yeah. writing articles every like four or five times a week. It feels like, mm -hmm. and yeah. a lot of really good ones. What was the uh, the the um? I I keep thinking of like the every time I read the article, it's it puts me. You know the beginning of Aladdin, where it's the guy selling you all the stuff. It was the uh, the Scrimbuck Stock Exchange. That's what it is. Yeah, there it yeah. is. It's it's the guy at the beginning of Aladdin, right? Where he's selling you all the stuff. It's the probably my favorite, maybe my favorite Overwatch article I've ever read, and I've read all of Joe's articles. Thanks. So, uh, I'm just saying, Joe, step Ooh. it up, step it up a little bit. I'm just, it is what it is. It is what it is. You know. <laughs> Stylistic differences. He's he's yeah. very very colorful in the way he, that he writes. I'm very bland and uh, you know that's not that's, that's not true. true. That is not true. That's that's not it at all. But he, yeah, it's just it was just like a really I learned it, a lot. It's very good, and it, and it kept me kept me really entertained the whole time. I maybe didn't learn as much as I could have. Yes, guys. <laughs> I don't know. What do you mean? That article is almost 100% accurate. Something about that German, that German sense of humor maybe was lost on me a little bit. Oh, oh. Also, people still didn't find all the references. No, there's 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 some hidden gems that I'm still like trying to understand. So yeah, if you're a super sleuth and want to be Detective Jones, get into the Scrimbucks Stock Exchange and start doing some analysis. You might find some some nice little hints.
But it was amazing, Yiska. Keep up the the awesome work, Joe. You put thank out you. some gems as well, honestly. So thank you, buddy. Well, thank I don't you. I don't want you to feel like just because Yiska had one good article out of eighty this last week that <sighs> you are diminished as a journalist. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, you know what, Christopher? You're you started zero and two. So you know what? Kudos to you, buddy. You did it. Started zero and two. Two and zero. Whatever. Wow. It was the right numbers. I, I mean. Wow. Just big wow. Yeah, Lots of wow. wows. Just not not the best number recognition. No. Uh hey, what did okay. you what did you accomplish this week? Me? Yeah. He's been he's been doing Bro, all kinds you're of goal looking at, you're looking at it. You're looking at what I've accomplished this week. This is the only thing I wake up for. Is uh is tactical ground. I just like I just don't want to disappoint Yiska and Joe. That's all it is. I, yeah. I don't want to uh, disappoint you guys. So that's that's what this is. Christopher, it's not about me. I want to hear about you. So what do you got coming up? Like, what are you working on? For the Philadelphia fans out there, what do you want to say to them? Give us it all. Give us your sign-off. Uh, go. Thank you for the support. You know, we'll keep bringing it to map five. We'll keep making it interesting. But we won't lose. Won't lose. I like that. I like that. All right. There you have it. Go follow Christopher at Christopher. It's spelled weird, especially with the capitalizations. I'm so glad we use all caps for the branding for this show. Do you want to know why? I mean, it phonetically makes sense, but I'm guessing I have no idea. I have no idea. I used to play a hero called Twisted Fate in League of Legends, so I thought my name was extremely clever at the time. Oh. But it doesn't necessarily transfer so well to Overwatch. <laughs> for for the longest time, I didn't understand the phonetic writing of it, so I always thought it st- stood for Chris Team Fighter. There's a lot. People used to think I played Team Fortress. Team well. Fortress. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I said. It was yeah. Team Fortress. I, I just thought right. it was like it was just an it. emphasis on like Chris to fur. Uh, it's, t- it's supposed to be pronounced Chris Tiefer, technically, but I think Christopher works better. Yeah, mm. sorry. I'm never going to call you Chris Tiefer. No one ever just does. Get, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Should have asked that before the show. It was, it was, it was, yeah. I thought it was so obvious. And here, we, here we've been calling you the wrong thing the whole time. The whole time. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get out of here. Uh, Chris Tiefer, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh Follow Tactical Crouch everywhere. Uh, just search for Tactical Crouch over Watch League Daily at OWL Daily Show on Twitter. I don't know. We might just change that. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Uh, make sure to go follow Joe and uh, Yiska at Volamel and at Yiska out. Follow Christopher at Chris T-F-E-R-O-W on Twitter. Make sure to follow him. Cheer on the Philadelphia Fusion. Uh, they don't need you, but they want you. They want you to be cheering for them. So we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Thanks again, guys, for being here. Enjoy. I hope you enjoyed episode 20, especially once we got uh, Christopher's microphone working. I should have known that in the pre-show, right? Like, I should have I just known. Like, why does he have the, the microphone flip down if he's using, like, a Yeti on the counter? And turns out he wasn't using a Yeti I on the counter. Him. All right. We're out of here. Uh, chat, you're the best. Way to behave this week. Good job. Um, big goose. Uh, keep being you, man. All right, we're out of here. <laughs> Go. Thanks for tuning in again. See you guys next week.